I'm Emily. And I'm Hannah. We are best friends and dietitians. We have a goal of challenging nutrition misinformation and fitness trends with an evidence-based approach. Each episode, we will dish up our thoughts about the latest facts on a popular health-related topic. We're the Upbeat Dietitians. Hello, everyone. Today on the Upbeat Dietitians podcast, we are joined with a very special guest. Michaela Parsley is a registered dietitian that works with patients undergoing radiation and chemotherapy. She works to ensure patients are, are well-nourished to stay strong during cancer treatment, and also she provides insight to many of the nutrition myths surrounding cancer. Because of her work in oncology, she has a passion for disease prevention, and she runs a blog and social media accounts providing nutrition tips and easy recipes. Michaela is also a big fan of Aldi, just like us, and she loves to share her Aldi grocery hauls with her followers. So great episode. Let's get into it. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Upbeat Dietitians podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the pod. Today, we are joined by a very special guest, a fellow dietitian, and to me, a fellow Indiana liver. Is that the right word? <laughs> resident. 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 That's a better word, not liver. <laughs> that was not the right word. Okay. Let's see how this is going to go already. Anyway, we are joined by a wonderful Indiana native, Michaela Parsley. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me tonight. Of course. So Michaela is an oncology dietitian, which means that she specializes in cancer prevention and treatment. And so we're really going to pick her brain on those topics today. But before we get into that, kind of walk us through a typical day in the life, what you do for work, um, walk us through how you became a dietitian, what you do for fun, kind of a load of questions. So answer it however you wish, but just give us a little insight to who you are. All right. Well, you said I'm an Indiana native, which I'm actually not. Ooh, okay, like where you say from? that? I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, uh, but I went to college at Ball State, turp turp. <laughs> but um, so that's how I became uh, here, or how I moved here to Indiana. Um, met my husband. We moved to the Indianapolis area for my dietetic internship, and I love it here. Um, so. We have a home here now. We live here, work here. Um, like Hannah said earlier, I am an oncology dietitian. I work in a cancer center here in the Indianapolis area. I work with patients undergoing active treatment, so both radiation and chemotherapy. Um, so that's like my full-time traditional job. And then kind of in my free time, um, I run some social media channels and a blog um, that's really mostly just like general health advice, but I do like to kind of tailor it to be to disease prevention, just because I do work, um, you know, in oncology. Um, they estimate that two thirds of cancer uh, diagnoses could be prevented through diet and lifestyle changes. Um, so, you know, it's very important to me to kind of like get that message out there uh, to the general public to kind of empower them and let them know that we do have control over our health and, uh, and wealth and happiness. So, um, that's just a little bit about my, my work life. Um, but other than that, I have two dogs. Um, they're both rescue dogs and I like to travel and hike and, uh, go camping. That's a little bit about me. 
Very cool. Very cool. Very good summary of everything going on. And I actually did not know that two thirds of cancers could be prevented mm-hmm. through dietary and lifestyle changes. So that is very cool to know. And I hope everyone takes that. I hope that resonates with everyone because I feel like it affects everyone. And it's something that I feel like cancer feel like people don't know they can really do more with it. So that's really cool. I'm sure we'll ask you more today about it. It'll be great. So let's start first, start off with kind of our, what are the general guidelines around cancer prevention and, or what are the most unique or remarkable ones you'd want to point out? Yeah. So, um, I love, like I said, I love talking prevention, um, specifically cancer prevention, of course, being an oncology dietitian, um, two organizations that play a major role in cancer research and putting out guidelines, um, and kind of interpreting, uh, the research for us as, um, just the general population is the American Institute for Cancer Research and then the World Cancer Research Fund. And those two organizations teamed up together um, and you know, looked at all of the research and have put out general guidelines for cancer prevention, um, 10 of those. Um, so I'll kind of like go over 10 real briefly and then maybe touch on some, some more ones that I think uh, or dive deeper into some of those that are uh, a little bit more nutrition focused. Um, well, they're all nutrition focused, but ones that I think are really important for us to touch on today. Um, so just to run through them real quick, the 10 tips. Uh, first, to be a healthy weight a lot of times. And I know, um, you know, in today's world and on social media, we're talking about healthy at every size um, and trying to get away from diet culture. I know um, you guys are really big on that and I agree, but also a lot of um, research and scientific evidence has um, shown that um, those who do have a higher body fat percentage um, do tend to have a higher risk for cancer. So just something to be mindful of. Um, Number two is to be physically active. Um, When we're active, um, that can improve immune system, reduce those body fat stores um, to kind of help with with that and being a healthy weight. Um, Number three, eating a diet rich in plants. Um, So I know plant-based diets are super popular right now, which is awesome because it's getting people to think outside of the box of the traditional meat and potatoes meals that I feel like a lot of, um, you know, generations have grown up with. Um, so that's a big one that I like to touch on a little bit more in just a second. Um, limiting processed foods and fast foods. Of course, I think a lot of us, it's pretty general information we're all familiar with. Um, limiting red meats and processed meats. Um, I think this one's a little bit more well-known too, um, but something I just want to touch on real quick is as far as the red meats go, you know, there is a higher link um, to cancer, specifically GI cancers with red meat consumption. Um, so these organizations, the American Institute of Cancer Research has recommended limiting that. So what does limiting mean? That's trying to stay less than um, 12 to 18 ounces a week of red meat. So I mean, if you think about it, that's still a, a decent amount. You know, you can have um, you know, a burger or something 
every once in a while, just being mindful of how often, try not to have red meat every single day. Um, the processed meats, that is something that they definitely recommend trying to reduce as much as possible, just because there is so much of a connection um, to cancer and certain types of cancers from, and processed meats are your, you know, lunch meats, your bacon, your hot dogs, those types of things. Again, you know, every once in a while, it's not going to, you know, you're not going to have cancer just because you ate a hot dog, but really being mindful of that and trying to stick to fresh meats when possible. Um, the next uh, number six is limiting sugar sweetened drinks. So if we're drinking soda, um, you know, Starbucks Frappuccinos, all of these sugary beverages all day long, you know, that's going to really um, add up in excess calories throughout the day, which could lead to excessive um, body fat and a higher body weight too. So again, being mindful of what we're drinking. Um, going with that, limiting alcohol. Alcohol is considered a carcinogen. Um, I know that in the past, there's been recommendations, one drink for women, two drinks for men a day to try and stick around that. But when you're looking at in terms of cancer, uh, we definitely want to avoid as much as possible. So these uh, oncology organizations are always going to be saying to reduce that as much as possible or get rid of it if you can. Um, I feel like we live in a really good time where like it's almost a cool thing to not drink alcohol. Um, we're recording this right now in January. Um, a lot of people like to do dry January. Um, a lot of bars that are newer in the Indianapolis area are having like mocktails and a lot of just fun alcohol-free um, beverages. I know a lot of um, breweries are coming out with non-alcoholic options. So it's a really exciting time to try and implement that and still be social and meet up with friends without feeling that pressure um, to always have an alcoholic drink. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, the eighth tip for cancer prevention is to not use supplements for cancer prevention. Of course, I think most of us have heard that antioxidants are good for us. And so, um, you know, some would infer that, okay, well, I'm going to go take a bunch of vitamin C or vitamin E, vitamin um, A, all of these vitamins and minerals um, to make sure I'm preventing disease. Um, but studies have actually linked certain high-dose uh, vitamins with cancer development, specifically vitamin E um, and vitamin A. So trying to be mindful that we're not doing these excessive amounts of supplements. Number nine, of course, isn't going to pertain to everyone, but trying to breastfeed if we are able to. Um, when we're breastfeeding, we actually have less, especially the length of time that we're breastfeeding, we um, are exposed to less estrogen because um, during that time, we're not having as much, as much estrogen released in the body. Also, it's helping to increase um, cell death and that, you know, making sure that we're um, killing off damaged cells and our body rapidly reproduces new cells in the breast tissue during that time. So that's pretty cool and interesting. Um, you know, but of course that's only going to apply to you if you have children, if you're a woman, if, you know, of course, if, you know, you can also breastfeed, I know not everyone can. And then number 10 is following all of these guidelines 
after a cancer diagnosis, um, after we're done treating, and even you know during cancer treatment, if some of these can be implemented, that's important too. Because I like to tell my patients on treatment, you know, you have a lot going on. Like, don't stress so much about all of these things. There's other things we can be focusing on during treatment that's more important. But when we're done with treatment, we want to prevent recurrence, right? You don't have to come back here and go through all this. So trying to really focus on these 10 tips. I love the, like, the approach you take to all this. Like, it's very, like, moderation is key because I feel like people will see those tips sometimes, like, on a handout or a flyer or whatever, and they will be like, okay, so I can never have processed meat again. I can never have red meat again. I should never drink alcohol. I should never have a processed food. And it's not that way. Like you said, you don't just like eat a potato chip and then get cancer. Like it's so yeah. much more complex than that. And so I, that's what I love about dietitians. I know it's very biased of me to say, but I feel like most of us do practice that whole moderation thing instead of the all or nothing mindset, which as we know, Emily and I always talk about this, it's just never effective and it's not even going to get you to your goals. Even if it is cancer prevention, it sounds like it's not even going to be worth it, I would say, to have that mindset of super duper restriction. So I love to hear all those different. Yeah. And we have to like meet patients in the middle, right? Yeah. Like I know all of us live in the Midwest um, and, you know, not to like stereotype, but people more so in the Midwest are very set in certain eating practices that aren't very in line with all 10 of these tips um, or lifestyle practices. And so we have to like, you know, do what we can and slowly impl implement all of these changes and build on that over time versus like trying to go crazy and do all these. And like you said, never eat a potato chip again, never eat a hot dog again. I mean, even me as a cancer dietitian, who is very in tune with all these things. If I'm at a barbecue in the summer and there's a hot dog, like I'm going to eat a hot dog and enjoy that. But also I don't eat hot dogs every single day. I'm doing all these other things. So it's just the bigger picture for sure to focus on. Exactly. That's yeah. something I try to stress too. So I feel like patients and clients don't always think of it that way. They think of the nitty gritty stuff. Yeah. The one that I wanted to just go into a little bit deeper um, is the recommendation to have a diet rich in whole grains, fruit, vegetables, and beans, all those plant foods. I think that, you know, of course, people are hearing this information, especially in um, today's society to eat more plants, but I don't think people really know why it's important to eat these plants, and especially in terms of disease prevention. Um, and, you know, when I'm talking with patients, you know, they'll tell me a list of like three vegetables that they like and that they eat consistently. Um, but when I kind of talk a little bit more with them about fruits, vegetables, beans, whole grains, and why it prevents disease or why it's good for us, then they're more um, likely to kind of broaden their horizon and try new things. So we always encourage variety in our diet because certain plant foods uh, or all plant foods contain different nutrients. Um, you know, especially you, you can tell right away when you look at something because all of these fruits and vegetables have different colors. Um, and all of these colors um, actually are linked to different nutrients within that plant. Um, and plants, you know, they, by the time we eat them, they're not a living 
um, organism anymore, but they once were, and they had systems in place to protect them in nature. And they have things called phytochemicals, which is translated to plant chemicals. And these are the plant's natural way of protecting themselves in nature and elements from certain diseases. And those phytochemicals, when we consume them, plenty of research and studies have shown that that thus helps us prevent disease. And you know, all of these different colors offer, offer different things. So I think most people look at an orange and know that there's vitamin C in there. Um, and vitamin C is an antioxidant. Um, it helps fight free radicals within the body that could cause eventually down the road disease. Um, but also like things like tomatoes contain lycopene. Um, lycopene, uh, people who consume more lycopene throughout their lifetime um, seem to have a reduced risk of prostate cancer. Um, our purple and red foods like our grapes, um, and you'll kind of know this because of wine, red wine, but they contain a phytochemical um, called resveratrol, um, which resveratrol actually has been shown to help reduce estrogen uh, production within the body. So all of these different nutrients from all these different plants they offer different um, mechanisms or protections for us as a human. So it's really important that we're, yes, eating fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans, but also that we're constantly trying to try new fruits, veggies, beans, whole grains, and try and switch it up frequently so that we're constantly getting in all of these different nutrients that can do different things for our body. So that's a big one. And especially here in the Midwest, I feel like, you know, we're, we're so used to growing up with the same fruits and vegetables. You know, we're not in a tropical environment, you know, different countries have different fruits and vegetables, um, but trying to try new things and really get creative with the diet. And I think that's what I like about um, the plant-based craze right now is because if you eat more plant-based and you want to have fun and like the meals, you have to use a lot more plants than you ever did before if you were more um, of a meat eater. So um, just something to think about um, for those that are trying to be a little bit healthier in terms of disease prevention. I love that because I feel like people hear us dietitians say, just eat more veggies, but maybe we don't really know why we say that. So that was a really good explanation of why it is so important to eat not only veggies in general, but all different types and have a wide variety. <laughs> I think this is a good segue kind of into our controversial question of the episode. And I want, we want to hear your opinion and your expertise on the statement of sugar feeds into cancer. Yes. So unfortunately, when patients are diagnosed with cancer, they are flooded with information. A lot of times information is from Google, friends and family that know other people with cancer. Um, and a lot of times it always comes back to what they should be doing with their diet. Because, um, right, we just talked about how important diet is for cancer prevention. So, of course, diet's going to be super important once they have cancer. Um, and something that comes up a lot um, is that sugar feeds cancer. 
And this is a myth that I'm constantly busting. Like I literally need that sugar does not feed cancer cat food to my forehead at this point. <laughs> um, but where does this come from? Cause we got to realize like, obviously it's coming from somewhere if it's so readily talked about and common in today's society. Well, um, glucose, which is sugar, um, carbohydrate is, um, the preferred source of energy for all cells in the body. Um, so this is why when people go keto, um, and they're cutting out carbohydrates, uh, or glucose will feel really tired. They can't really think as well, um, because we normally use all this glucose, um, for our cells to have energy and to fuel its best. And cancer cells, when they're rapidly dividing and the tumors growing within the body, um, they're using much more energy than they ever did before, or that, I'm sorry, that can't, that healthy cells use. They're using so much more nutrition and their preferred source of energy is glucose too, just like a healthy cell. Um, so a lot of times people will say, well, if we cut out glucose uh, from the diet, if we're cutting out sugar, then we can slow the cancer growth, which of course, you know, we all want to do um, to help slow the spread and, you know, possibly help treat and help with treatment uh, to do its job. But when you cut out glucose from the diet completely, um, cancer is ruthless. This is how I describe it to all my patients. Like, your cancer is going to continue to grow no matter what. Um, and what doesn't get talked about is that all cells and cancer cells don't just use glucose to grow. They're also using protein and fat to continue to grow and use that as energy. And they have mechanisms in place to turn protein and fat into glucose to be used for energy and to continue to grow. So when patients are on treatment, there's a big focus on making sure that they're staying well-nourished and not losing weight to support their body throughout treatment. And when patients are super focused on this and reducing sugar from their diet, cutting out glucose, they can also be harming their healthy cells. Um, they could be you know, making it even more difficult for them throughout treatment, which is already a really stressful time. Um, to be focusing on all these foods that they can't eat um, and which could also lead to further weight loss. Um, but, you know, something that I always talk about is, you know, we, I'm not saying you can go and eat cake and cookies all day long and that's fine and not going to impact your health and your cancer. Um, because if we're eating high sugary foods all day long, um, our blood sugar is gonna be spiked our insulin level is going to be spiked, um, which some cancer cells um, do have receptors on them that, um, that insulin attaches to, and insulin can help uh, kind of stimulate growth with some of those specific cells. So there's like a roundabout way where, of course, like to support our body, uh, we wanna be mindful of sugar and not eating it all day long. Um, but it's not like if you drink a milkshake, you're growing your cancer cells as we speak. Um, and then another thing that I like to touch on is, you know, of course, if we have a high sugar diet, I touched on this earlier when I was talking about those sugary beverages, 
If we're having sugar all day long, we're likely having excessive calories from those sugar sources because they can add up quickly. Um, and that can you know, lead to a higher body fat percentage, which has been linked to many types of cancer. So does sugar feed cancer directly? No, but you know, there are things to be mindful of around that space of sugar and glucose and health, you know, that can impact cancer. So it's kind of just, you know, a, a subject that you really have to dive deeper into and understand all of it um, before you can just say sugar feeds cancer. Not always as black and white, I feel like as nutrition is often made to be. Yeah. And, you know, I mainly work with patients when they're undergoing treatment. And I think even if you've never known someone uh, personally who's gone through cancer treatment, specifically chemo, that affects us more so. Um, I feel like you, you've seen it on TV or you know a little bit, but of course, chemo causes a lot of nausea, upset stomach. Um, and a lot of times patients are really struggling to eat and cold liquids um, like milkshakes um, or, you know, oral nutrition supplements. A lot of people are familiar with like Insure Boost, um, Fairlife shakes are becoming more popular. Um, but those are like the only things patients can sometimes consume. And so if you tell them that sugar feeds cancer, and they're going to take that, you know, to heart, and they're going to avoid all sources of sugar, then they're going to have like nothing left on many days where that's the only thing they can eat. And that's going to do more harm to their health during treatment than it would be for them to just consume that. Um, and also, if you're taking that sugar feeds cancer to the extreme as well, and you're not consuming fruit, because of course, fruit has sugar, um, you know, we just talked about how important some of those vitamins, minerals, phytonutrients are that come from fruit that help prevent cancer and disease. So you're going to be missing out on those nutrients as well. All right. Well, on the other side of the spectrum, now that we kind of know the correlation between sugar and cancer, we'd love to get into the correlation between artificial sweeteners and cancer, because I feel like that is one that I hear all the time. Um, because I work in weight management. And so those can be a really good tool to help decrease caloric intake. And every time I mention them, my clients or patients are like, Ooh, but don't those lead to cancer? Things like stevia, sucralose, um, ACE K, all those different things. So we would love to hear your perspective on that. If artificial sweeteners have any correlation to cancer. Mm -hmm. So, you know, obviously when, these organizations like the American Institute of Cancer Research are putting out that they don't want you to have sugary beverages or sugar sweetened beverages. Um, the latter would be to have low sugar um, or maybe diet beverages. Um, and I know that in society, just like the sugar feeds cancer myth, there's a lot of information out there about artificial sweeteners and their connection to cancer. This all began in the 1970s um, when saccharin um, was studied in rats. Um, and they noticed that the rats, well, I should probably, just, I think it's mice, but whatever, rodents. Um, <laughs> they, that saccharin, um, the rodents that uh, consume saccharin did develop um, bladder cancer. So that's where that first stems from. 
And so it was deemed right away as a carcinogen. Um, the FDA did not approve it for use and consumption. Um, but then it was studied further in mechanistic studies, which means that it was then studied in, in like humans and what the effect would be on a human consuming that because we are not rodents, right? Um, that they, this, that correlation does not occur, that um, the saccharin did not develop tumors within humans. So then it was, of course, studied much more than just one study, um, but it was eventually reversed and deemed safe by the FDA um, to be put into food products and consumed by Americans. Um, so pretty much since that happened, um, there's been so many more um, sugar substitutes that have came onto the market. Um, but it is always going to be tested and um, deemed safe by the FDA before it's put out for human consumption. Um, aspartame, which is like the, one of the more uh, common sweeteners nowadays, that's like what's in Diet Coke that I know Hannah loves. Um, that uh, was, it was, there was one study that came out of um, a lab by Italian researchers that linked um, aspartame to uh, more like blood cancers, like leukemia. And um, they found a connection between uh, those blood cancer developments and um, again, the rodents that consumed the aspartame. Um, well, researchers went and were looking at their data and actually found many, many flaws within the research, um, and it was pretty much revoked. And then um, all the studies since then pretty much have deemed it safe. The FDA feels comfortable. They name it as safe. It is not a carcinogen. Um, so that's why it's in our, in our society today. It's in our food products or drinks. Um, now, with anything, of course, you know, we've talked about sugar, you know, I don't want patients going and eating sugar all day long. Um, it's kind of the same thing with artificial sweeteners. Um, different organizations, so the FDA and then kind of the similar organization in Europe have put out kind of like limits or like um, what they call, they're called ADIs, which is acceptable daily intake amounts for aspartame. Um, which in the U.S., the FDA's is 40 milligrams per kilogram of body weight. In Europe, they're a little more strict, um, and theirs is 40 milligrams per kilogram body weight. So what does that actually mean? Um, for someone that's like 132 pounds um, in Europe, that's about 36 cans of diet soda a day. So I'm sure there's probably someone out there that drinks that much, but I have never met someone that drinks that much diet soda. Um, so it's just like putting that into perspective, like how much are you actually consuming of these artificial sweeteners? It's again, something we want to be mindful of, making sure that we're not consuming all these all day long. Um, as far as beverages go, water is the holy grail. We want to be focusing on things like water, low-fat milk, um, some, you know, those are a little bit better than, you know, just consuming something like Diet Coke all day long. Um, so, you know, just being mindful of the bigger picture and again, realizing that, you know, if you drink one Diet Coke, you're not going to get cancer. That's there, if, if that were true, it would not be on the market. We have systems in place to prevent that from happening.
Yes, that's a good way to put it. Like it would not be available to you as much as it is if it was going to just automatically lead to any kind of disease. I feel like that's most of our job is saying things like that. I know. It's not fun to be like in moderation. I know. But that's the reality. And that's what we as health professionals have to continue to get the message out there because so many people are getting all this scary information online. And, you know, they don't know what to believe because it is confusing and it's conflicting. Um, but, you know, in almost all cases, moderation truly is key in just being mindful of what we're putting into our body every single day. Yeah. And this could be like a whole other podcast episode, I think. But like you said, it's not like sexy or fun to say those things. And the struggle is that the more dramatic things that are said, like if you do have diet coke, you're going to get cancer. Those are the videos that go viral that everyone responds to and everyone sees And our videos of have it once in a while, if you want to just don't get all the attention, which is again, another conversation, but it's a good point to bring up. I was actually curious what the equivalent of the 36 cans of soda to like a liter bottle was. Cause I was like, maybe people drink liters out there rather than cans. So it would be equivalent to drinking about 13 liters. Oh my gosh. If anyone was that's a lot. Experience. I'm glad you did yes. that. That's a better visual for a lot of people. Yeah. Cause I was like, there, I don't know how many come in a sleeve. I feel like it's 24. Oh, that's like, just a, like a box pack. Thing. Yeah. yeah. I think that is 24. Cause then I'm like, um, you'd have to drink like maybe one and a half of those. I was like, what if someone drinks something else? And that 36, that's in Europe where it's a little bit even stricter than here. So that would be even more here in the U.S. Um, But, you know, if we're going with their limit, which is a little bit lower, you know, that that's that 36. And even that's a lot. So Uh definitely paints a good picture there. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Just catch me on. Catch me on a Saturday. Chugging seven. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care what you're drinking. If you're drinking 36 cans, you're going to be in the bathroom all day. Well, this diet coke, that's a lot of caffeine too. I feel like I'd be like bouncing off the walls. Oh yeah. I didn't even think about that. That'd be mm-hmm. wild. Oh, okay. Well, that has yeah. <laughs> been mind blowing and also hopefully very eye-opening to our listeners um those are the big questions we got for you Michaela we wanted to kind of really get into the general guidelines because Emily and I have never really touched on this before we don't really know much about it truthfully it's not our specialty um so it was great to hear just the general tips and tricks for prevention and also get into the sugar itself and then the artificial sugars themselves but um if you could and if you would what would you kind of say to kind of sum it all up if you could could like put it all into one short little sentence or phrase. Yeah. So, um, I always like to think about nutrition and diet as information that you can use to empower yourself. Um, a lot of times with cancer, I think a lot of people, you know, they know that there's cancer in their family and they're just doomed to get cancer. But like I said, there is a lot of power in our diet and lifestyle that can change that course um, and can help prevent disease. So knowing that and implementing that into the diet by, of course, focusing on those plant foods and eating a variety of those foods 
Um, trying to limit alcohol, that's a really big one that I think society is going in the right direction, but that's something that isn't talked about enough because um, it is a carcinogen. And, you know, moving our body and, and treating it, um, treating it with kindness and trying to try to look at, um, you know, cancer prevention and disease prevention in general, because that's the big thing, like all of these recommendations that and everything we talked about today is to prevent cancer, but all of those same recommendations also prevent heart disease, diabetes, all of these chronic disease states that um, are so prevalent in the United States. So it's not just about cancer, but also preventing all of these disease states and knowing that you have the power to, to kind of change your future and prevent that. Yeah, beautifully yeah. said. Perfect. Thanks. Awesome. So we always like ending our episodes with a fun bonus question where it's more of us just sharing our opinions. It's not really so much of a debate. <laughs> it can get heated, but doesn't need yeah. to. Yeah. yeah. So I'm trying to, the question for today, and we always like our guest start, is I'm not sure if this is, we're, we're going to make it a debate. We'll make it, Ooh. which is better, French fries or onion rings? French fries. I mean, is there really a debate? I don't. Emily? <laughs> onion rings? Is there a debate? I, Her eyes are telling me something, but carry on, carry on. I mean, I'll eat onions. I'm not going to turn down onions <laughs> if they're yeah. at the table, you know, but I would much rather have french fries. Specifically skinny french fries, like steak and shake french fries. Like the that's shoestring ones. Go to. Yeah. Those are good. That's really good. They have a name. Yeah, that's like the shoestring ones. That's what I've always called them. Okay. Well, now I know how to describe my French fry preference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Emily, I have a bad feeling about this, but go ahead. So my opinion would be onion rings are better because there's less variability in the quality of onion ring. I've rarely had a bad onion ring. I've had many fries I don't like. That's true. But I love fries. That's a good point. That's a very good point. I think it's also because you can't really, there's only really one type of onion ring. I don't think there's more. Oh. I don't really know how you can. You could probably have like sauces and seasonings, but like, you're right. The onion ring themselves, I guess you can't really mix up very much. Yeah. And they're like always like white or yellow, right? Like I've never seen like a red. Ooh. Yeah. It is always the same. I feel like yeah. I would like that though. I love red onions. Same too. Yeah. Well, I love onions yeah. in general, but I gotta go with the French fries. Gotta go with the French fries. It's just with onion rings. When you bite into it, sometimes the whole like onion comes out, and then you yeah. have just, like, the crispy part. Yeah. There's no cute way to eat an onion ring. Oh, you don't have to like put it on. <laughs> it is not first date food. No, definitely not. No, no, no that's very true. That's very true. <laughs> yeah. A much more petite way to eat yeah. the French fry. Yeah. Do a little yeah. dip and into the mouth. Way cuter. Love it. I don't love the shoestring ones. Of course, I'll eat any fry and any onion ring. But if I had to pick a favorite, I think, Emily, didn't we already d- debate the best French fries before? Yeah. Was that just us or was someone else? I can't remember. 
know. We have a lot of conversations. What, what was the... When the, the I know I said curly. One? That I one got pretty price. controversial, too, because didn't you say that you like the the crinkle fries too and i was like yeah, i don't like crinkle fries mm-hmm. oh no i don't you like don't either fries. they're mushy yes like mush yeah Mm-mm. yeah we got and i will too. say my answer was curly fries that I was your answer slander <laughs> i like curly let fries. it be known <laughs> i like curly fries. yes i think my answer was like a five guys or a rally is like season yeah. fry those are my favorites yeah, like those are good too yeah or like chick-fil-a like waffle fries are also amazing those are nearing, <laughs> those are nearing crinkle fry territory. So I yeah, don't rank those them in are... the first place, but I feel like they are crispier than a crinkle cut. But give me an aioli dipping sauce Ooh. and I will eat any french fry that comes with that. Me That's like too. the That's ultimate uh, oh. condiment for french fries. It's so good. I love an aioli. Mm-hmm. Mm. We've also talked about, aioli. oh, so good. We've also had an episode where we talked about like the best fast food, like dipping sauces too. Mm. So now I'm thinking my answer is aioli. I forget what I said then, but aioli is so good. <laughs> aioli. That's, so good. That takes the cake. Oh, yeah. Well, Emily, I'm sorry. It's two to one on this one. <laughs> oh, French fries. <laughs> but onion rings <laughs> are still delicious. I mean, we will all enjoy yeah, a great They're onion both ring. great. Yeah. Both great. Yeah. yeah. I'll take I don't either. discriminate whenever. I'll eat it. No. <laughs> yeah. If it's deep fried, I'll probably get to. I'll enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. I'll enjoy it. Well, Michaela, give our listeners some insight on where they can find you, where they can follow you, and some more information on that, if you would. Yeah. So on social medias, um, I'm more active on Instagram. I'd say that's like the most um, common place you'll find me, but um, at sea salt and kale on Instagram, also on TikTok, um, and Facebook. I have a Seesaw and Kale Facebook page. And then um, I do have a blog. So www.seesawandkale.com. You can find more of my recipes and just some blog posts and information there as well. Wonderful. And we'll link all those below for you guys. Yes. And we'll also link I say we, like I'm part of the podcast, um, but I'll yeah. make sure uh, that they link on um, some resources for cancer prevention that kind of dives more into these topics. Um, and I can use some links that kind of touch on sugar and artificial sweeteners as well. If you'd like more information on that. Oh, that'd be awesome. Perfect. They will love that. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for joining us today, McKay. This was a wonderful episode, a totally new topic for our podcast. So it's going to be really great to have this to kind of refer to if we have patients or clients or people on the internet ever ask us about it. So this will be a good one to have in the, what's the right word? The data bank? I don't know. Library. The library. I'm not good at words. I also called you an Indiana liver. So (laughs) I'm ending it on a good note. It's like I began it on a good note. Yeah. Goodness. Well, well, thanks again. We will see you guys next week. Yeah. Have a wonderful see your day. Everyone will talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in on this episode of the Upbeat Dietitians with your hosts, Emily Krause and Hannah Thompson. We appreciate you all so much for continuing to support us. In order to support us and sustain the success of this podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating and review. If you'd like to provide us feedback for future episodes and guest stars, follow us on Instagram at The Upbeat Dietitians.
Lastly, you can show us support by providing a monthly donation using the link at the end of our bio. Once again, thank you so much for listening today and stay tuned next Wednesday for a new episode. Until then, we hope you have a wonderful rest of your week.